0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org.
1: When it all comes down to it, it is Jesus that we want more of in our life. It's Jesus whose name we are lifting up. Amen? Amen. Hey, City Rev, I don't know if you've heard. Maybe this is a brand new piece of information. Today we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. Anybody excited about that? Amen. So excited to celebrate that with you, City Rev, whether it's the Cooper City Campus, whether you're here at the West Vines campus or joining us online, so glad to celebrate our 20th anniversary together um, and, and to spend some time lifting up the name of the Lord together. You go ahead and take a seat.
0: Well, we're so glad you joined us today. Whether you've called City Rev your church home for many years, or if this is your first time, this is an incredible Sunday for you to pick to join us because we're gonna be looking back and reflecting reflecting and talking through all the ways that God has proven himself faithful in our church today. We're so excited to celebrate that. And so if you would, just kind of turn your attention, and we're going to just be really thinking through ways that we can celebrate and thank God for how he has proven himself to be faithful through these years.
1: You know, the celebrations you heard is going to start this morning. Actually, it started on Thursday night with a worship night. It's going to continue this morning. And then into the afternoon, I want to invite everyone to Cooper City. Uh, in, outside of Cooper City and C.B. Smith Park um, from 3 to 6 p.m. to join us as we're celebrating together. It's going to be a wonderful time. So um, there's, I don't know if you heard, there's flan. There's going to be flan. Uh, we're going to watch the Dolphin Game. We're going to have some, a great time to celebrate. And you know, that's just so much of what the Lord has told us to do. I mean, he tells us as his people to pause and to celebrate. We, we're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to have a party together to celebrate all the things that he has done.
0: That's a A wonderful way that we're going to keep the celebration going this afternoon but today right now we're gonna take a minute and just reflect and remember it says in scripture over and over remember remember what I've done for you and so we're gonna recount the ways that the Lord has just really taken care of his bride and we're not just celebrating city rep but we're lifting up the name of Jesus and that is why we're here today so if you would take a minute and celebrate with us by checking out this video
2: city rev church for a very long time almost 20 years we were out here we're the closest to this area and it made sense to have everyone meet at our house and start the church in our house we didn't have a location to have a church and we were right here so we said let's do it and so our first real service and it was right here behind us in the uh, in the den here and we had f- literally 30 35 people here some sitting some standing and that's that was the first service we had
0: and it was joyous to have
2: everyone here. One thing is hard because we were expecting it to grow, 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 like overnight, you know, people just come flocking to us and that wasn't happening. And we would try different things like probably a lot of new churches do, you know, going around knocking on doors, handing out flyers, standing in parking lots in the neighborhood uh, stores, handing out flyers, come, come to the church. You know, it's a new church in the area, that type of thing, and we weren't getting them. We did mailers, oh my gosh, postcard mailers by the thousands, and we just weren't getting any traction. There was a commitment to make it work, and it was faith that was letting open that would be more families would join us. We probably averaged 35 people a service, and that Sunday after 9-11, we doubled in size. We started having meetings in in the
0: the, the original pastor's home, and then um, we went to Clark Mayer's house, and
3: then we moved to where Potential Church is. Um, we met in their band
2: room. Where do we go from there? It's hard to
3: oh Chapel Trail, Chapel Trail Elementary, Elementary School.
1: School, and that's where oh. we just we started growing.
2: We became known, and this is a special thing, and we all have endearing memories of this the church in the box, and we had. A trailer and we hitched up one guy to pick up truck and every Sunday we would go about 10 of us 12 of us would go every Sunday and build the church inside the cafeteria move all the tables can you imagine 40 folding tables every Sunday they had to go out of the way laid out chairs put the band equipment up and then afterwards it all went back in the trailer hooked up and went to the guy's house or went to eventually went to Bergeron which is up the street and uh, it stayed there and then guess what Tonight, hundreds of parishioners left with nothing after their church is stolen.
1: Now this church was a portable church packed into a trailer every week and taken to a South Florida school for services.
2: TBS4's Maribel Rodriguez live in Pembroke Pines with our top story at 530. Maribel. So we had nothing. We had no equipment. So one guy would bring a guitar from home. Uh, we had a keyboard that somebody brought from home and I think that was all we had. And after that was stolen. All the kids' things were taken, so all, everybody
0: good. started donating um, whatever they could from home.
3: We would drive it over to where we are now in the offices, the warehouse spaces. That was originally our church office. And our trailer was stolen, and we lost all of our equipment. Was there last Sunday, and we couldn't do a lot of the stuff. They didn't have microphones or anything. We even were lucky to have snack there. <laughs> <laughs> as, an, as an eight-year-old, when our church trailer was stolen, the, the effects of that that I felt the most was that it included our snacks, and so we didn't even have snacks on Sundays for at least a couple weeks, and that, that was deeply troubling deep, and <laughs> deeply hurtful for me.
2: I was an elder at the time. We knew we needed to find a leader. And our current pastor, Roby, was a, a summer intern. And everyone fell in love with him. He was phenomenal. We gave it a try. We'd fly him down on the weekends to preach and fly him back. And uh, so we did that for a while. And then finally, we just said, let's pull the trigger. Let's do it. He's he doing was still a phenomenal in, job. He was still in seminary when he first started preaching for us.
1: And it's not about, right now, a pastor. It's not about a church. But it's about Jesus Christ. So, over the last 15 years, some of the things that have been the most impacting is, uh, I think, just watching the baptism celebrations and just being on the the front row of seeing people who are doing something so ancient. (laughs) I mean, so ancient. Jesus commanded us to do it. First generation Christians did it. And now just thinking of the number of people that have publicly declared that they are all in following Jesus and that he's made them into something new. And just seeing just people baptized uh, over and over and over, over the years, it never gets old. And especially, I love seeing when a child who's grown up here and seeing tears come down a parent's face when their child has stepped forward to personally put their faith in Jesus. And it's a reminder that another Mathetes another generation of all-in followers of Jesus are going to be rising up and going out into the city to transform the city.
0: One of the things that is most impacting for me is being able to watch our our church family bring the city into their own homes by seeing families raise up becoming foster parents or becoming safe families for kids that are in need or even seeing local missions or, or, or overseas missions take place. And I think one of the Things that I've seen is, and I've experienced this myself, is we go into those experiences expecting to change the world, to change the city. We're gonna be that initiator of change, but you almost can't measure the amount of impact that it has on ourselves, our world ends up changing, and our perspective on the gospel and encountering Jesus in a very tangible way um, gets radi- radically changed upside down, and it impacts then um, not just the context that we're, we're serving, but it impacts ourselves, our relationships, our families, and even our church community.
1: As I think back on the history of CityRev the last 20 years, something that's always been a priority is the next generation in fact i was just looking recently as we're approaching the 20-year anniversary i was looking back at some of the old bulletins and this is way back this is in the first year or two of the existence of city rev before we were here and i saw in that bulletin it said something like your children are our priority and I've, that's something that I've always uh, loved about CityRev. It's always remained the same for 20 years. And what's great is now at the 20 year mark, we're now seeing the impact of prioritizing that next generation, because now that next generation are adults and many of them have children of their own. Mm. And we get to now see at this 20 year mark, a whole generation that's now rising up. They're out in the city. They're transforming the city. They're raising children. They're, they've become mathetes and now they're raising children to become mathatase.
3: I believe I was 12 or 13 when I first started coming to City Rev. So I met my wife in youth uh, middle school ministry. You know, when you're 13, life is still coming together. So it took us a couple years, but we started dating at 16 and the rest is history. We're married now for five years and we got a year and a half old uh, little girl. And you know, my hope for her is as she grows up in the church and gets exposed to that, that that's something that she holds close to her heart. Um, I imagine her in 15 years, and 18 years, the conversations we'll have, and I know that the early years are gonna be um, really sowing a good foundation for her growing up in the church.
1: When I first came to City Rev in 2003, everyone was as welcome as ever. And my entire family came to faith in City CityRev early on. My mom had a friend that was uh, going to uh, City Rev and she invited her. And then, of course, she told us about it, and she's oh, like, oh, we should all check out this church. And um, we, it just instantly clicked, and we felt This was like our home church. My mom and dad's faith grew so much early on and imprinted on us as well um, the faith that my my parents were showing at the time.
3: I first started coming to City Rev when I was 11 years old. It's it's been honestly a taste of who Jesus is and from from my time when I was 11 to now, all that I've experienced is love. And the very essence of Christ is that, is love. Is love that we can't even fathom, we can't even describe. And so from the greeting to, you know, the, the brothers I've, I've, I've met and, and the relationships and the friends and the, the, the leadership, you know, with, with the pastors and the preaching, et cetera, et cetera. It's just so much love. And me taking that in as a 21-year-old, it's like, man, this is here and it's not out there. So I need to do everything that's necessary to take this and give it to those that are around me. When people see me, I want them to see Jesus. From the way I grew up here, like I obviously I came in in elementary school. It was such a huge part of my life. The community really like cared about me and made me feel wanted and reminded me that Jesus wanted me more than anything else and I went from being in kids ministry to serving for kids ministry to then serving for student ministry and then serving for high school and young adults and my tribe leader from high school is my bridesmaid. It's because these people aren't just people who are at my church, they're people who have changed my life and I don't know I just like I want that for my kids too. They have a place where there's a consistent community and people who are wanting to pour into your life. Uh, when I first started coming to City Rev, I was 16 years old, I believe. City Rev, just being under the leadership here and learning what I have learned about Jesus and the the significance of loving people the way Jesus did, is something that has impacted and shaped my approach as I started this new career in nursing. You know, as a nurse, there a lot of a lot of nursing is being there for the dirty, the ugly the bad, just the uncomfortable. Just like Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, I'm serving them in a way by washing their feet, washing their body and cleaning them up and making sure they're okay and um, they're medically stable and then caring for them spiritually and emotionally.
0: So in high school ministry, I was taught to focus on outreach more than myself. So going to church is not just about me and what I can get, but it's about what I can give. And that really influenced the way I've done ministry and the way that I've served others. And I remember starting to see that and learn how to do that with free Waffle Wednesdays in student ministry. And I used to walk around West Broward High School with a guy in a unicorn suit, just trying to share the gospel with people and invite them to Waffle Wednesday, hopefully so that they would stick and come to student ministry.
4: I end up going one Wednesday, and it's this, like, free-for-all, waffles galore. There's, like, music playing, people are hanging out, ping-pong. And I'm like, where have I been? What have I been missing out on? The one thing, to be honest, that made me finally decide oh to, gosh. to check out this waffle Wednesday that, that everyone was talking about was the fact that everyone was talking about it consistently. <laughs> couple weeks after that i finally asked i was like no let me go check it out and that's when i came it's some ping pong got some free waffles and i was like oh this is, this is a pretty cool place they had the music playing i was like why why, why would it, wasn't i coming here before i left whatever i didn't know it was a church i didn't know it was a, it was a student ministry don't. i just thought it was a cool place that had free waffles and this is where the kids went on wednesdays then i got invited to church and then i put two and two together and said oh i was i was in a like a church I had no idea so what was cool is right after I started going to church I went to um, student ministry on Wednesday night I did not know for sure that if I gave my life to Christ that everything was better I didn't know And I said okay if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it all the way and this past Christmas Eve service my dad uh, gave his life over to Christ and it was a remarkable day and, uh, I remember like as soon as Ruby did uh, announced the altar call I was like oh you know if you want to take that step today take a <laughs> bell come over here I'll, I'll pray Well, you know, I'll pray over you and oh as soon gosh. as you come over we're gonna applaud I'm like oh man this is great I can't wait for it. never not for one second did I think oh my dad's on my right and we're sitting like in the aisle so he's everyone can see him and so as soon as he said that he's like oh, okay whenever you're ready music started playing maybe three seconds after my dad does one of these he, he just, just walks <laughs> right up and as soon as he walks up I'm like it was great it was great but yeah he took a step of faith and and I was there to witness it ultimately it led to Christ saving yet another life (laughs) man I'm triggered right now oh my gosh I don't think about it often now just because it's a reality but if I were to have told Kevin at that time hey mom, dad, Sammy Gabby, Um, they have this hope too now. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I don't think Kevin at that time would have believed me, but um, I think he'd be overjoyed. There's this glue holding us now. It's our hope in God and and the faith that we have in him. It's just it, I can't imagine now living life, having a relationship with my family without that being the, like the centerpiece.
3: My prayer for City Rev over the next 20 years would be that we continue in our vision and our calling. Uh, as someone who's now a father here at City Rev, I look at my daughter and hope that she can grow up here grow up through our kids ministry our student ministry our young adult ministry and become a disciple of jesus herself and i pray the same thing for all of our kids students and young adults that they would be uh, math a taste for jesus i mean i'm just happy to have been a part of it from day one
2: i'm not surprised every week but at the same time i'm in awe of where it has gone to in who knows where it can go? The goal—the goal is to uh, transform South Florida, right?
0: Yeah.
2: And it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's happening, you know, a little at a time. Amen.
1: Well, what a joy it has been to be able to remember what the Lord has done over these last uh, twenty years, and. Uh, you know we've been reflecting on that over the last several months just the story that he's writing and so what i'd like to do is just take a moment and thank the lord together for what he's done i'm going to lead us through some prayer and then let's go into the scripture and imagine what if we kept going let's pray Lord, you're a miracle worker. From the moment you spoke your voice out into the void and light burst forth, you demonstrated something to us about working miracles. And then, Lord, you took a people and you made them to be a blessing to call the world to the one true creator, most holy God, the one God. And out of that people, a savior came. And through that savior, Lord, it was, it was you, Father God. It was the son, it was God made flesh. You dwelt among us and you walked among us and you did miracles. And then when you left, you, you left your Holy Spirit inside your people And you said, you'll see even greater things. And so generation after generation has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God inside. And through them, you're working miracles. And Lord, we've just in our small 20 years have seen you do miracles. Lives have been turned around. Souls have been saved. People have become true disciples. Mathetes, following after you and then on mission. So you get all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to do even more through us in the coming years. I pray now as we open up your word that you would do a great work in us. Do miracles today. Lord, I have to believe that there are some in this room, there's some in Cooper City, there's some watching online, that today is the day that they will taste and see that you are good. Draw them to yourself. We lift this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in the early 60s. There was this record label called Decca Records. And there was a young band guitar-driven band, just a few parts of the spam, brand new on the scene. They uh, had a a familiar sound, but there was some new dimensions to it, and they auditioned, I think the audition was, uh, they had maybe 20, 25 minutes worth of songs, did several songs, and um, the person in charge of the audition at the end said, thank you, uh, we'll get back with you, and circled up with Uh, those that, you know, he reported to and said, look, uh, they're fine. They got a nice sound. But here's the thing. I really feel like guitar driven bands are, they're on their way out. They're not the future. And so I say we, we pass on this band. And so they uh, got back to them and told them the bad news that they had passed. The band uh, went on to another label, and thankfully for them, they were very glad to hear, and thankfully for rock and roll history, the next, uh, the next uh, record label picked up the band that we now call the Beatles. Now, I want you to imagine you are the poor soul who's remembered throughout history from Decca Records that said, just before guitar-driven bands exploded, said, hey, they're, they're the past. The guitar-driven bands are not going anywhere, and this band is not going anywhere. Imagine you're that guy, because I gotta be honest, there is no one you can sign for the rest of your life to make up for that one missed opportunity. You can't go back. I mean, you can sign every other top band, and it kind of doesn't really matter because you passed on the, the Beatles, and that has become known as one of the most infamous missed opportunities, and the reason it was a missed opportunity is because that person was misreading the future. As they looked forward, what they thought of the future, what they were thinking of the future, how they were imagining the future was off. And that made them miss an opportunity, not just of a lifetime, an opportunity of historic reality. And so we're here today at a significant moment. And we've spent the last several months, like starting in the summer, we began just going through our story Really to not memorialize our church, but to thank the Lord and be reminded of the things he's deposited in us as a church and, and so that we don't ever lose the things that he's taught us. And we spent some time already today just reflecting on some of the things that he's done through our story, but let's, let's now turn a corner and let's open up the scripture and let's see what does it say so that we can orient ourselves towards the future, and here's what I'd say, City Rev, if we fail to correctly orient ourselves to the future, we as individuals or we as a church could miss out on an opportunity. That's not just of historic capacity, but eternal. Uh, let's take a look. I want to go to John chapter 15. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go to John. Chapter 15. I want you to see um, what Jesus says here. We, we took a look at this uh, also last week. and I want to jump back in, and, and it's a really profound text. Uh, what's significant about this is, in part, um, these were some of Jesus' final teachings to His disciples before he was crucified. This is what was on his mind. And so we're going to look at John 15. We're going to start in verse one. "I am the true vine." And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now let's pause there for a second. We're going to jump back in in just a moment. Let's pause there for a second and let's just get ourselves oriented with this metaphor. Jesus and the disciples are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it would not be uncommon to walk by a grapevine. Now, when we think of vineyards today, we probably think of acres upon acres, the sprawling vineyard. But it probably would not be uncommon for uh, an individual with a small farm to have maybe one vine set up where they could harvest some grapes off of that vine. And Jesus, as they're walking through, many believe, probably saw vines like that as he was traveling with the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and stopped and had an object lesson regarding this vine. And he said, look at this vine. You see the vine coming up from the soil. It's drawing all of the nutrients up out of the soil and sending all of those nutrients into the branches. And he says very explicitly, he says, let me, just, let me, let me describe this as a metaphor for you, you disciples, your relationship with me. This is kind of how your relationship with God works. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the one that's pulling all of the life, all of the, the nutrients, all of the vibrancy. I'm pulling all of that out of the soil and I'm sending it into the branches. And off of the branches, it's the branches that are bearing fruit. Now, how the metaphor works, he says, if you are, as a branch, connected to me, you will thrive. If you're disconnected from me, you'll wither. And it's, it's very simple. He says, uh, the, however healthy the vine is, that's how healthy the branches are. But imagine this metaphor applied to Jesus. Jesus is not just, well, we're, we kind of lucked out. If Jesus is your vine, he's a, he's a pretty healthy vine. No, he says, I am the true vine. He's not saying, I'm better than the other vines that you can find. He says, look, there's plenty of vines you can connect to. There's plenty of philosophies, plenty of teachers, plenty of religions that you can plug into, you can connect to, and you'll thrive. Just stay with me and you will also thrive. No, that's not what he says. He says, I am the true vine. I'm the vine that all the branches are intended to connect Think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the true vine. He's not just, well, man, he just had some really wise thoughts on how to live. Man, you you follow Jesus' teachings, you'll do well. No, that's that's not what we're talking about here. I think about who Jesus is. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He's, by him, all things were created. All things are created through him. All things are created for him. He's the fountain of living water. He's the bread of life. He's the great I am. He's the one that will one day, he'll wipe every tear from every eye. Okay, he's the, he is the savior. He's, he's a lion, but he's also a sacrificial lamb on our behalf before God. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that looked at all all of his followers and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're connected to the vine, it's the source of all life, the center of the universe, the one who's holding all things together. He says, connect right to the source and let the living one send all of that vibrancy, all of that life, directly channeling it into your life. It's a profound call as a branch to be directly connected to the vine and have cascading through you all of the liveliness that's channeled from the one who is the author of life. He wants to channel all of that into your life. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. But the rest of the metaphor implies that there is a vine dresser. There is one that takes care of the vine and the branches. You can find a wild grapevine growing. They grow sometimes in the wild. But when you see them growing in the wild, they're usually growing along the ground. The branches are not propped up. The grapes are dirty. There, You can find maybe some good grapes. But it is not even Comparison, there's no comparison to when a a gifted um, expert vine dresser gets a hold of that vine. He'll build a trellis. He'll, let the, he'll lift up the branches so that they grow along that trellis. He will, with expertise, he'll walk along the vine. He'll clean off and lift up the clusters of grapes. He'll clean them off. He'll prune back certain branches so that they can grow more grapes. And all of that at the hands of a gifted expert vine dresser, he can truly get the most out of those branches. And when he, when, when he does that... The vine dresser gets the crop that he wants. He has a, an agenda for that vine and those branches. It's his vine. It's his branches. He gets what he wants out of it. So for example, maybe you were to grow a grapevine down here in South Florida. You probably would not be very successful in this climate, but if you were to grow a grapevine, it would be yours to do what you wanted with. Maybe you have a mango tree in your yard. That is your mango tree. You can just uh, prune it back and make it like and, and fertilize it and make it produce incredible mangoes, but they're yours to do what you want. Maybe you are a very godly person and bring those mangoes over to the church office and share them with some of the staff. I mean... It's yours to do what you want. If you want to hoard them for yourself, that's fine, okay? They're your mangoes to do whatever you want with, okay? When it's your tree, your vine, if you're the one tending for it, you get to set the agenda for that vine or that tree because you're the one, it belongs to you, you're the one that care for it. If someone was walking by and there was this, this vine that had uh, all kinds of fruit, they couldn't just steal it. Belongs to the vine dresser. So here's what that means for us. The vine dresser, the, the us as branches, we belong to him. He sets the agenda for us as branches. He provides the purpose for our lives. And the purpose that he said in this text is he says his purpose for our lives, what he wants from our lives is that the branches produce fruit. That's his goal. That's his agenda. That our lives produce fruit. Now I want to jump down to verse 8 and I want you to see what he says in this verse. And then we're going to pause there. Look at this in John fifteen eight. By this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's what he says. He says, look, the vine dresser has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for the vine and the branches. We're the branches. His purpose for our lives is that we bear fruit. He then goes on to say down in verse 8, he says, and when we bear fruit, it brings glory to him. This is why he wants us to do this. He gets glory. If someone walks by and they see um, someone's vine full of grapes... They would say, wow, hey, to their neighbors, did you see Dave's grapevine? Man, those grapes, there's grapes everywhere. You can barely see the branches under there. There's so many clusters of grapes. They look amazing. And then Dave comes out, hey, way to go, Dave. You've done a great job with that vine. Why? They give the glory to the vine dresser. When we bear much fruit with our life, not only is that the purpose of God, but that brings glory to God when we give our lives to bear fruit for him. But then there's another thing that he says. He says, if we bear fruit, that is the proof, strong words, that's the proof that we are his disciple. That's the evidence. I mean, how could we I mean, if you you follow this metaphor, he's saying, look, I'm the vine, this one who is the author of life. And if we've got, if we're attached to him, if we're abiding in him, and we have that life then cascading through us, how could we not produce fruit? And the inverse is true. If our lives are not producing fruit, then what does that say? Maybe we're actually not abiding in the vine. Maybe we're near the vine. Maybe we're entangled with other branches, but not actually attached in the vine. See, fruitfulness is so significant to this passage. Fruitfulness is so significant in this metaphor that Jesus is giving on this, this final night before he's crucified. He's looking at his disciples and he's telling them this whole dynamic uh, about bearing fruit. Look at these three things again, Let, let's, let's review. Here's what he says, the first thing is, fruit is God's purpose for our lives. It is the purpose, and here's the thing, that's actually God, good news. Because there's so many other lifeless, default purposes that our, our lives go to. And when you get to the end of those default purposes, they are so empty. A default purpose is we live to make money. or we live to be successful. We live to just see, man, how far up the ladder can I climb? How, how successful can I make uh, my business? Uh, how many accolades can I get? We just we kind of just go to see how successful or how much money uh, that we can make, or maybe we just live for comfort. It's like one day we're living for retirement, or maybe one day we're in the meantime we're just living from vacation to vacation, vacations. Like okay, I got to go back to work, but that's okay. Like I'm I'm going back on vacation in a couple months, and I keep living for that comfort, living for that comfort, or living for approval, or living for a relationship. And in the end, if all of those default purposes they wind up. Up being empty for one of two reasons. Either in the end, we, we, we get to it, and it's empty. We finally get to retirement, and we've worked so hard, and we've, we've made the money so we can live comfortable, and yet when you have no more purpose, when, when retirement was all my purpose was, then once I get there, I have no more purpose. And that leisure only lasts so long before the very life, the very drive that made me feel alive, slowly ebbs away. Or I get to that vacation and it was, it was great, but it could never quite live up to and never satisfy myself. So I come back depressed and I come back more depleted than when I left. Or when I, I hold on to that relationship, either relationship with a child or with a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or just maybe one relationship after the next or that friend and I hold on to that and my purpose is just to get everything out of that relationship that I can. And the irony is I end up squeezing that relationship so tightly, ironically, I lose it. Or maybe my purpose was to be uh, make as much money as I can, but the problem with that hamster wheel is you never get to the end of that race and you're never satisfied. Or how successful can I be? How big can the company get? How high can I, can I climb on the ladder? But there's always someone else to be envious of. There's always someone else that's a little higher to be jealous of. And so this should come as a great, deep, satisfying, restful, good news that God the Father who made us says, no, 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 none of those default purposes. I have a purpose for your life. It's to bear fruit. That's what your purpose is. Not only that, but that fruit, it's not only our purpose, but it's to bring glory to God. That's why when we gather for 20th anniversary and we look what God has done, it's not to praise the name of City Rev., it's not for us all to leave out of here and clap for City Rev. And man, I love so glad that I'm I'm part of this cuz City Rev has done so many things. No. It's to lift up the name of Jesus and bring glory to him. It's why um for it's our purpose it's for his glory but it's the very proof that we are followers of him. It's the very proof that we're true disciples. It's the very proof that we're what the ancient word for disciple, mathetes. It's what math, a mathetase does. We refocus our life away the things of this world and we focus on bearing fruit. We say, okay, but what's the, um, what's the big deal about? bearing fruit. I mean, it's like, okay, it's the overarching purpose of my life. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to bear fruit? I mean, what does it mean that that's for God's glory? That's God's purpose. That's evidence of my disciple. I mean, what does that mean? Because it means so much more than try to do a couple more good things than you already are doing. Fruitfulness is not just, hey, be a little kinder to the people at work Be a little nicer. No, it's something so much grander than that. It's something so much bigger than that. I mean, think about this metaphor. The metaphor is that the vine is extending into the branches. You realize, branches and the vine, they're part of the same organism, right? The branches, they grow up out of the vine. They carry the DNA of the vine. They carry the very life of the vine. They are an extension of that vine. Isn't that the same metaphor used over and over and over in the Bible when talking about our relationship to Jesus? It says, We're one body. He's the head, and from Him flows the rest of the body. We're all just parts. Of the body. He says, We're building one house, Jesus the true temple, but we're the stones he's laying to build that house. These are the metaphors. Or how about this? This is another way it describes it. He says, When we start following Jesus, we become citizens of a different kingdom. And it's like we're so we're getting so accustomed to the culture of the heavenly city that as we live in this city it's like we have culture shock of this city because we're aliens and strangers we're more familiar with the culture of the heavenly city where we truly belong. See this is where Jesus what Jesus says if we want to understand what fruitfulness means, if we want to understand what's surging through us, let's pause for a second and, and think about where we truly belong. Let's, as we're entering into the future, we've been looking back at the past, but as we're entering into the future, let's pause and let's, let's get the right perspective of the future. Let's get the right read on the future because here's ultimately where we're going to end up. A heavenly city. That's ultimately where we're going to be. Ultimately, where we go is a heavenly city. You know, see, here's the problem. When we think about, about heaven, um, our view of heaven and where our future is in heaven, that's, in our day and age, it's, it's really poor. In fact, if you, um, if you did what, what Pastor Justin challenged the students this past week to do, he said, hey, if you Googled heaven and you went to images, um, just like scroll down the page, what would you see? You'd see clouds, bright white light. You'd see maybe chubby babies flying around as little angels, okay? You might see people, they're in white robes and they're standing there on clouds with a harp, okay? If that's our future, like I think I can make the harp thing interesting for like a few hours, but it's going to get really boring like about a billion years in, okay? Like that just seems a little vague. That view of heaven, that is a lie. How could that possibly be heaven? It's illogical. How could the one that breathed creation out of his mouth because he's the creator then all we've seen is a cursed version of his creation. And when we go see what he can do without the curse of sin, it's bland and monotonous and boring. It doesn't make sense. Don't you know what the scripture says is coming? A new heavens and new earth set free from the binds of sin and death. That's what's coming. Don't, don't you know what's coming? He, he's saying, man, a new heaven's a new earth. It's so wondrous, he says, that creation itself waits and groans to be set free and to see what God is going to produce. That's where we're going is a heavenly city. That is our future. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. He has a sermon called The Weight of Glory, and here's what he said. He said, one day when we get to heaven, what's going to happen in our hearts is we're going say, this is what I've been homesick for all of my life. I'm finally home where I belong. At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's the, um, it's the last battle, is the final book, and there's one last chapter, which might be my favorite chapter in all of, of fiction. And what happens is all of the main characters, they end up in this place kind of like Narnia. And they've gone to these Narnia places like all the time, like that's nothing new. They end up in this place, but there's something about this time that's different. And as the, the second to last chapter closes, they're looking and they see this, this field with creation and the sun is shining on it. It's beautiful with mountains in the distance. So much of it looks familiar to the old Narnia, but they all simultaneously know, know there's something new about it and, and they're trying to describe what it's like. It's like every blade of grass has more significant and more meaning, like it's more alive or something. And finally, one of the characters speaks up and it says, And this character summarizes what they were all feeling. This character says it like this. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up come further in and with that he takes off running. And he runs into the field and all of these other characters, they take off running into this new Narnia. And it, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, it's, it's humans and mi- mythological creatures and animals. And they all take off and they find that they're able to run faster than they've ever run before. And they start going faster and faster and faster without getting tired at all. And that, it gets to the point they're running so fast they can't tell whether they're actually running or flying. And they come up to this incredible waterfall and they stand back and they just stare in awe and one of them just runs at the waterfall and runs up the waterfall, like, like as if they've done it all of their life and they all follow after and they're running up their waterfall and then they run up a mountain and they run faster and faster and all the time they're running. They're calling out to each other, run further up, come further up, come further in and they keep running and they keep running and they run up over mountains and finally they come to this incredible city with this beautiful gate that's closed. And they run up and they stand at all. And simultaneously, they all deep down just long that they might just get a glimpse inside this incredible city. Would someone just let them just crack the gates open and let them see what might it look like inside the city? And as they approach, the gates fling open wide to them. And they're told, come further up, come further in. And as they enter into this city, all of the characters who believed in Aslan and believed in the true Narnia are all that have gone on before them are all there and they they hold each other and they hug each other and they laugh together and they sing together. And then Aslan comes in. That's what you're waiting for. What you're waiting for, this is why those who are running hard after the Lion of Judah, there's nothing on this earth that can satisfy what we're longing for. Deep down inside, there's nothing. This earth has nothing for us. We're citizens of a different kingdom. We're we're citizens of another city. And we're waiting for one day Jesus to return and to make all things right and to take us to be back with him. But with every passing moment that he leaves us here, we cry out the prayer that Jesus prayed. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said, my father, our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the first request is this. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. do you know what it is to follow after Jesus, the great lion, the lion of Judah? is that we're saying, Jesus, we long to be with you one day where where all of our hearts are longing to be. But with every passing moment you leave us here, just will you give us a glimpse of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Just give us a glimpse. That's why we love the old Narnia, because every now and then we get a glimpse of what the new Narnia will be. That's why we love this city, because every now and then we see a flash Of the new city. It's it's our our prayer that that in our lives, as He's creating us to bear fruit, we're starting to see Christ being formed in us. We're starting to see His kingdom happening here on earth. It's that we might hope that, that our spouses just might get a glimpse of the true person that Jesus is making us to be. It's that our children will see the fruit of, being, of us staying in the vine, that they would say, look, I know that my dad's not perfect, but I know that I see that, he, that God is in the process of making him like Jesus. And every now and then I'm, I see something only Jesus could do in his life. It's that my coworkers could say, look, I know that they're not perfect, but there's something emerging in them. It's they're becoming like Jesus. And I look at that and I say, that's not of this world. I want to be like them. I want to know what it is that's becoming out of their life. It's our neighbors look in and they see the fruit that's being bear- bore from us because there's a river of life flowing through us as we have the spirit of the living God inside surging through. And that, that's becoming in us. It's that as we go out and we reveal this hope that we have, that we see little glimpses in our city, we can't help ourselves. We're on such a path to a new city that we can't help every moment we're here to try with everything we've got to see this city look a little bit more like the new city that's coming. That's what we're called to do. I tell you about that future because as we turn our eyes to what's ahead, I'd love to be able to tell you, let's imagine what City rev could be in 20 years. Imagine campuses, you know, 20, 30, 40, sprinkled around all over South Florida. More and more people being sent out out of City Rev. But you know, I, I don't know. And honestly, if this was just about what the future is of City Rev, my fear is that we'd leave here and we would have accidentally made fans of City Rev rather than mathatase of Jesus. My fear is that we'd accidentally made followers of City Rev, subscribers to City Rev, friends of City Rev. And those things look great, but what that looks like is someone who comes to church and they're like, oh, I love this church because I, I love the music or the ministries or the teaching or I, I love what they have for my kids or I love all the friends that I have there. And as long as those ministries met the needs of that person, they would continue to journey with that church. But we want something more. I have no appetite to create fans of City Rev. I want something more. Because local churches, they come and they go. We're all like grass that's here one minute, gone the next. And honestly, I hope we're not here in 20 years. I hope Jesus has already returned. Here's what I care more about. What I care more about is a people that say, As long as we are still here, Jesus, we are committed to seeing this city look more like your city. Just give us a glimpse of where we're gonna spend eternity. And use us to produce that because the irony is when someone is more of a mathetase of Jesus than a fan of their church, actually those mathetase are the ones that are even more committed, more all in to the work that God is doing in their church. Because they say, look, I'm not in it for what I can get out of my local church. No, as long as this local church lifts up the name of Jesus and brings Jesus to bear on this city, I will run along with them and I'll give everything God. I'll give of myself. I'll give of my time. I'll give of my resources. But I am running with this church because I want to see as part of this community, I want to see God do something historic. I want him to see if he's not going to return and take us home, then may his presence reign here in a historic manner until he comes. That's what we want. And so City Rev, as we turn our eyes to the future. One message. May we run further up and further in. Let's run together. We're running for an eternal city. And we're running to see him do a work and bring a glimpse of that eternity here. And if he doesn't return first, let's pray that we'll produce fruit Together, that we'll see this city transformed by the power of the gospel in our generation and then on to the next one. The greatest possible thing that you could do today is just come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You need that life that you've been longing and aching for and he's calling you to it. You're homesick for something, and you know that everything you're turning to is not home. Your home is a person, and his name is Jesus. Turn to Jesus today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? If you're here, and you want to turn to Jesus, Make him your home. Make him your savior. Make him your Lord. If you say, I wanna see heaven one day. I wanna see that eternal city that I've been made for. If it's only one path is through Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. If you're ready to take that step, then I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me today and begin that journey. All you do is surrender to Him. You say, I accept you, Jesus. That's all you do. And He does the rest. And so if you want to take that step and surrender to Jesus, all it takes is just a simple prayer. If that's you, then pray this with me. Just whether you're at home. Cobra City, West Pines, just make this your prayer. Repeat these words silently after me. Just say, Jesus, I surrender. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. I want to be in heaven with you. And I know that only you are how I get there. I believe you died and rose again. Did that to save me. I give you my life in Jesus' name, Amen. If that was you just then, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're watching online, I want you to go to cityrev.org/faith. Just go ahead and grab your cell phone. Go to cityrev.org/faith. That's too big of a moment to just silently go by all alone. We want to celebrate with you. We want to send you a Bible. If you're here, please don't leave here with that just being a moment you experienced all alone. Just take a moment. I want you to grab if that was your prayer. If you prayed that, if you found salvation today, grab this get connected card. It's in the seat back in front of you and just fill that out and just check that you put your faith in Jesus for the first time. And then put that in one of the offering boxes as you leave. We want to just follow up with you. We're going to get a Bible to you. You can also bring that to us at guest services if you'd like to talk. We'd love to pray with you. Church, whatever Jesus has in store for the future, we don't know. But we know who writes the future. And here's what we know. We know who's already won in the future. He's won in the past at the cross and his resurrection. That victory extends throughout history. It actually extended in both directions on the timeline. Jesus is permanently victorious. And here's the good news, if we are in Jesus, that means he's breathing and bringing victory into our life. That will always be the end of the story for each of us, each of our families, and it's the end of the story for our church. He is going to bring out victory. He who holds the future has won it all today. And so today, as we're lifting up Jesus and we're looking for the future, let's lift it up and declare who has won in the future. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this together. Thanks for
0: listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.